0: And today, we have the, the fun privilege of hearing from Allison, our executive pastor. Please welcome Allison. Hello, everyone. As Charles said, my name is Allison, and I'm the executive pastor here at The River. It is so good to be with you here today. I don't know about you, but I can't believe that Thanksgiving is this week. This year has just flown by, for me at least. So today, I want to start out by talking a little bit about love languages. Have you heard of them before? The five most famous ones are acts of service, gifts, quality time, words of affirmation, and physical touch. The idea behind love languages is that people give and receive love in different ways and that paying attention to these differences can help us to connect more deeply in our relationships. So, one love language that really speaks to me is gift-giving. When someone takes the time to pick out a thoughtful gift for me, I feel so loved and appreciated. And I have so much fun when I have the opportunity to show my love by picking out personal and meaningful gifts for others. One of my favorite gift stories happened about six years ago. My mom was coming to visit me here in New York City, And when we were planning the trip, I asked her, you know, what would you like to do when you come? And she asked, can we go see Hamilton? Now, this is back when Hamilton first opened, and uh, tickets were impossible to get. (laughs) So I looked into the cost of the tickets, and I told my mom, you know what? Like, unfortunately, it's just too expensive. Um, So we decided to go see something else. But for some reason, I just couldn't stop thinking about the idea of going to see Hamilton with my mom. My mom, who uh, passed away last year, she was a huge fan of Broadway musicals and also a huge fan of American history. So I found myself thinking about how much she would enjoy the show and how much fun I would have getting to see it with her in particular. I thought about how much my relationship with her meant to me and how infrequently I got to spend time making special memories with her. I thought about how wonderful it would be to show her how much I loved her and how much I appreciated her love for me. So I decided to dip into my savings and splurge. I was able to get two tickets in the highest balcony level. (laughs) They were the absolute worst seats in the house, but we were going. So I decided to wait to tell my mom until she arrived in New York City. Um, It was so hard to keep the secret from her, but somehow I managed. Uh, The day she arrived, after settling into the hotel, I told my mom I had a surprise for her. I told her we were going to see Hamilton, and the look on her face was priceless. We had an amazing time at the show, and for the next five years or so, until my mom passed away, She told that story of the Hamilton surprise again and again and again to anyone in our family who would listen. There is a story that appears in the Gospels about a woman who surprised Jesus with an extravagant gift. It too is a story that has been told again and again, as it has been passed down from generation to generation. Each Gospel tells it a little bit differently, but the main points go like this. One day, while Jesus was sitting at a table, eating a meal with some companions, he was approached by a woman. The woman anointed Jesus with incredibly expensive oil. Some of those who looked upon the scene disapproved of the woman's actions and were vocal about their complaints. But Jesus disagreed with the objectors. Instead of condemning the woman, Jesus stood up for her and defended her actions. In fact, Jesus went as far as to say, Truly I tell you, wherever the good news is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in remembrance of her. Isn't that interesting? Jesus felt that this woman's actions were so remarkable that they, could, that they should be remembered and told from generation to generation wherever the gospel is preached. That seems important like something we should pay attention to. So let's dive in together. Matthew and Mark's versions of the story tell us that the woman anointed Jesus's head, while John and Luke's versions say it was his feet. Both actions are rich with symbolic meaning. In the ancient Near East, the act of anointing signified selection for a special role or task. A new king was often anointed with oil on his head as part of his coronation ceremony. This was usually done by a prophet or a priest. For example, in the book of 1 Samuel, God directed the prophet Samuel to anoint first Saul and later David as ruler over the people of Israel by pouring oil over their heads. When the woman anointed Jesus' head, she was making a statement about Jesus' identity. She was acknowledging Jesus as King and Messiah. In fact, the word Messiah means the Anointed One in Hebrew. Whether she meant to or not, when the woman recognized Jesus in this way, she did so by symbolically stepping into the role of a prophet or priest. Considering the cultural context, this is pretty remarkable. At that time, women were not allowed to be prophets or priests. In fact, they were not even allowed to touch the scriptures or to go beyond the court of women in the temples. In the temple. Furthermore, interactions between men and women, especially among those who were not married, were very restrictive. Men and women were not supposed to talk to each other in public very much, not to mention touch. So what this woman did in anointing Jesus's head, in touching him, and in assuming the symbolic role of a religious leader herself was highly unusual. Anointing of feet carried different symbolism. In that context, anointing of feet was an act associated with hospitality and servitude. When guests arrived at someone's house, the host would often provide a basin and water or sometimes ointment or oil, for foot washing before the meal. We see this an example of this in Genesis 18. Abraham welcomed guests to his tent by saying, let a little water be brought and wash your feet, and rest yourselves under the tree. Typically, guests would care for their own feet. Or in some cases, they would be tended to by a servant. So it would have been highly unusual for a woman, who was not a servant, to approach a rabbi and begin anointing his feet. So whether she anointed his head or his feet, these women's actions were certainly outside of the norm. And given how unusual this woman's actions were, is it any wonder that the onlookers objected? In three versions of the story, the onlookers scolded the woman for being wasteful. They said, why this waste? For this ointment could have been sold for a large sum and the money given to the poor. In the book of Luke, however, the objection was different. In Luke's version, the onlookers objected to the woman herself, who was described as a sinner. They felt that Jesus should not be associating with a woman like her. One of the onlookers said, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what kind of woman this is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. It is important to note that the other three versions of the story do not describe the woman as a sinner, which leads me to wonder, was this woman really sinful or did she just push up against the limits of the onlookers' cultural expectations? It's impossible to know for sure. The points of objection that the woman was wasteful or that she was a sinner are in some ways very different. But on a deeper level, in both cases, the woman was reprimanded for failing to adhere to the onlookers' expectations. She did not behave the way a proper woman would behave or worship in the way that she was supposed to. Her actions were too extravagant, too bold, too presumptuous. And yet, Jesus honored the woman and welcomed her offering. In Luke's version of the story, Jesus drew attention to the fact that the woman performed acts of hospitality that the host failed to offer Jesus. Jesus said, I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet, but she has bathed my feet with her tears and dried them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Jesus reframed the woman's actions as those of an attentive host, an important role in that cultural context. Jesus also honored the woman in another way when he drew attention to a third level of symbolism in the woman's act of anointing. Jesus interpreted the woman's actions within the framework of his impending death, an event he had been telling his followers about in an attempt to prepare them for what was to come. He said to the onlookers, by pouring this ointment on my body, she has prepared me for burial, During that time period, it was common to prepare a body for burial using fragrant oils and spices. Using oil for that purpose was not considered wasteful, but rather was viewed as an act of love, devotion, and respect. Preparing a body for the burial was at the time and is still to this day considered a sacred act. So, when Jesus assigned the woman this important role in the passion narrative, he was once again honoring her actions. Jesus' actions toward the woman are a clear embodiment of agape, unconditional love. Unlike the objectors, Jesus did not place conditions on the woman's worship. He did not require her to change herself, to become more righteous, to act more like other women or be more like other worshipers in order to approach him and make her offering. Instead, he accepted her unconditionally as she was. Of her act of service, he said, she has performed a good service for me. She has done what she could. She has done what she could. Isn't that line encouraging? The woman did what she was able to do and that was enough for Jesus. The same is true for us. Who we are and what we have to offer is enough for God. God loves and accepts us unconditionally. God appreciates what we have to give, whether it is small or extravagant, common or unusual. If you've been around the river for a while, you'll know that we frequently talk about agape, God's unconditional love. And the reason for that is because we believe that agape is, the, is at the heart of the Christian faith. In fact, we believe that God is agape. The woman in the story understood this truth on a deep level, and it showed in her actions. We don't know this woman's history with Jesus prior to the anointing. I wonder, did she hear him teach? Did she witness him heal? Did she have a previous encounter with him? We don't know. But we do know that she believed so strongly in Jesus's unconditional love and acceptance that she was empowered to break all sorts of social norms to offer what she could. Her heart had been so touched by God that she could not help but respond in whatever way she was able. This woman's story is often held up as an example of who we should strive to be as worshipers. Many have used this woman's story to exhort us to try harder to be more of something, to be more passionate about God, or more humble, or more giving, or more grateful, or more self-sacrificial. But that entirely misses the point. If we are to emulate this woman in any way, it should be in her understanding of God's unconditional love. We do not need to make ourselves more of anything to be loved by God. We are already infinitely precious to God. But we can grow in our understanding of agape, both intellectually and experientially. Paul, in his letter to the Ephesians, said this, And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. The fullness of God's love is beyond our comprehension, But day by day, we can grow in our understanding of it. We can come to intimately know what is impossible to fully understand. And as we do, we may find that it will impact how we live, how we relate to ourselves, others, and God. I told you earlier about taking my mom to see Hamilton. My extravagant gesture was not an attempt to earn my mom's love. I already had that. Instead, it was a response to the love that she had poured into me over the years. It was a way of saying thank you to her for being who she was. And it was an opportunity to forge an even deeper connection with her. My gift was a natural response to what I experienced in our relationship. The same is true of our experience of God's unconditional love as we take it in and experience it more and more deeply, we will find ourselves wanting to respond, to offer what we are able, not because we have to, but because doing so will bring us greater joy and connection. To end the sermon today, I'd like to offer a few practical suggestions. The first is, Seek to grow in your understanding and experience of God's unconditional love. There are many, many ways to do this. Just like with the love languages that I talked about at the beginning of this sermon, you'll need to find the spiritual practices that work best for you, given your unique wiring and your current season of life. There are many options you can pursue on your own, but today I want to encourage you to take advantage of some of the offerings we have here at the river. One thing you can do is go get prayer from the prayer team during the worship time after the sermon. All you need to do is head to the back of the room, find one of the individuals wearing prayer team badges, and share your prayer request. It's that easy. The prayer team members will be happy to pray for you to experience more of God's unconditional love in your life or to pray for any other request that you may have. Anything you share with the prayer team will remain confidential and it's a wonderful resource to take advantage of. I know that getting prayer from the prayer team has been really helpful to me personally during times when I was struggling or just felt stuck in my faith. A second option is to attend one of our monthly practical spiritual workshops that Charles mentioned earlier. In fact, there's one happening today. So every month uh, we'll explore one spiritual practice that can help us to connect more deeply with ourselves, others, and God. We spend some time talking about the practice, and then we actually try it out together. So last month we practiced Lectio Divina, and today we're going to explore Emmanuel prayer a form of prayer where we can connect to God through our memories. And in December, we'll practice an Ignatian spiritual exercise together. So feel free to join us after the service today here in the sanctuary or come in December. uh, We would love to have you. My second and final practical suggestion is to embrace a do-what-you-can attitude. An important part of this mindset is believing that you do, in fact, have something good to offer to God, to others, and to the world. Too often we put ourselves down or compare ourselves to others, thinking things like, why bother? My contribution won't matter anyway. It probably won't be as good as what this other person has to offer. But as I discussed earlier, Jesus said to the woman, she has done what she could. The woman did what she could, given her unique wiring, her identities, uh, the resources she had available, and her own imagination. And That was enough. Take some time this week to think about the contributions you are already making in the different spheres of your life. Try to notice if you find yourself judging yourself or putting yourself down. Also take some time to think about the ways you may be holding yourself back in different areas of your life, ways that you may be limiting or prejudging yourself. If you're looking for a place to practice, we would love to have your unique contributions here at the river. This can look like joining one of our volunteer teams. If you're interested in that, just check off the box on your connection card. It can look like putting yourself out there and being intentional about building relationships within the church. It can look like giving financially. Or you may have something different to offer. If you have skills or passions that you think might be beneficial for the church, please reach out to one of the staff members. We'd love to talk to you about what your contribution might look like. So as I invite the worship team up here, I would like to end in prayer. God, help us to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is your unconditional love for us. Help us to intimately know this love that surpasses knowledge. Empower us to approach you with confidence and encourage us to believe that what we have to offer is good enough. Amen.